Bibles and turn to John 15. John chapter 15, please. If you've not been with us in our Sunday morning, 11 o'clock hour, we've been studying through the Gospel of John uh, for quite some time. And we start uh, to our journey through chapter 15. And our text verses for this morning are going to be verses 1 through 11. I'll go ahead and read those and give you just a little bit of, of uh, insight here, and then we'll make some application from God's Word this morning. Amen? And let's be on purpose and diligent uh, this morning to engage with God's Word on purpose and ask the Lord to teach us from it today, okay? Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and, gather, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The setting for what we have just read uh, needs to be remembered, and we've talked some about this, or quite a bit about this actually, what's actually happening at this point in time in the ministry of Christ and with the disciples. In chapter 14, the last verse of chapter 14 closes with this. Uh, Verse 31 says, "...but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, even so I do, arise, let us go hence." That phrase, arise, let us go hence, it implies something to us. And if you were to check the timeline with the harmony of the Gospels, what you would find is that probably at this point, Jesus and the disciples leave the upper room and they start on their journey to Gethsemane, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it suggests for us that the next Two chapters of Jesus' teaching takes place as Jesus and the disciples are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that they were in the upper room together. Remember that, that Jesus would be crucified in less than 24 hours from this time. Uh, remember that, uh, and it's not recorded in the Gospel of John, but Judas has left, and we did read that in John, but Judas has left and they observed the Lord's Supper at that point, and now they're probably walking to the garden, and it's here in this setting that Jesus continues now to teach His disciples. You remember that Jesus' heart and Jesus' mind has only been to prepare His disciples for what is coming. 
And he's been teaching them. And he teaches this truth about the vine and the branches and bearing fruit. And it's, it's possible that as Jesus and his disciples were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's possible that they were passing by some vineyards. They were common in those days. It's possible that maybe they were walking by the temple with its golden vine decorations. I was reading some things about uh, historical things, and I came across the historian Josephus, and you've heard of him before, and how he describes the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, but that gate, which was at the end of the first part of the house, was all over covered with gold, as was its whole wall about it. It had also golden vines above it, from which clusters of grapes hung as tall as a man's height. And so we, we don't know exactly uh, what they were looking at. We don't know exactly what they were passing by. Whatever the case was, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach this valuable and eternal truth to his disciples. And it is a, an eternal truth that we must learn as well. This chapter, chapter 15, we're going to break it down into three sections. The first section, verses 1 through 11, that we'll cover this morning is, is a parable. And it's a, an illustration of a truth that Jesus is using to teach His disciples. And it deals with our relationship and our fellowship to Christ as Christians. The second section is verses 12 through 17. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That second section is a, is, is a commandment. And it deals with our relationship to other people. The third section of this chapter is a warning. Verse 18, the Bible says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. And that section deals with our relationship to the world. And so those are the three things that we're going to consider as we work through this in the next few weeks. This parable, a commandment, and a warning. Our relationship and our fellowship to Christ. Our relationship to others. And then our relationship to the world. And I want us to pray this morning before we dig into these first 11 verses and learn this valuable truth that Jesus taught His disciples about the importance of abiding in Christ so that we can bear fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd use Your Word uh, to teach us. And as saints of God, Lord, I pray that we would be uh, engaged with it this morning uh, because it is so critical and crucial uh, to our Christian life. And Lord, if we have a heart for Christ and a heart for the things of Christ and a heart to honor and glorify the Lord, uh, this is vital. This is a must for the child of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to uh, pay attention this morning and to engage with your word that your will would be accomplished in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we read the first 11 verses here, and it's a story, it's an illustration, really, uh, that Jesus is using uh, to teach a truth to His disciples. But as the disciples walked slowly to the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, Jesus taught them this eternal truth in the matter of the vine, the branches, and fruit-bearing. And again, He does so in the form of an illustration. Now, before we break these verses down, it's important for us to understand something. When, whenever you 
are reading a parable or you're reading a story that's an illustration of a truth, it's important for us to understand that a story or an illustration or a parable or whatever is teaching one main truth. It's teaching one main truth. And to try to make every part of that story or that parable uh, stand on all four legs is often the first step toward misinterpretation. The main truth that Christ is trying to teach His disciples is the importance of abiding in Him in order to bear fruit, our relationship to Jesus Christ. The word fruit is used six times. The word abide is used at least 15 times, although it's not always translated as abide. And the main thought and the main point behind this teaching here is dealing with fellowship with Christ, not sonship. The other thing that we need to nail down before we break these verses down is what exactly is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Jesus said His Father is glorified if we bear much fruit. Jesus said if you abide in Me, uh, you're going to bear fruit. The same is the one that brings forth fruit. What is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? And so we need to understand that before we dig into these verses because the symbolism here is very poignant now in the new testament there are two basic types of spiritual fruit that are described you know galatians 5 22 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith etc right in galatians and ephesians the apostle paul speaks of the fruit of the spirit in those cases, the fruit is internal, reflecting spiritual growth that will eventually show itself on the outside. But there's also another kind of fruit, and it deals with vineyards or in the world of vine plants. And in vine plants, as well as in all flora actually, the fruit is a symbol of reproduction. The fruit on the vine is pleasant, it's desirable in and of itself, uh, it's, it's there for consumption to, to enjoy the taste of it, but the, the purpose of fruit is far more vital than just the secondary consumption of the grape on the vine. Within the grape itself or the fruit of any other kind of tree, is the seed that has the potential to bring forth another vine plant. The fruit was the embodiment of the seed which would bring forth new life. And so when we're talking about the fruit that Jesus is, is describing here, I think the meaning that Jesus is giving to fruit is twofold. And it seems clear that the fruit Jesus is describing is of spiritual reproduction. Spiritual reproduction in two forms. Number one, that His nature and His character is developed and reproduced in us. His character flows through us. The second is the reproduction of ourselves. The bringing forth of others to new birth spiritually. So in other words, it is God's will that saints, that Christians, bear much fruit. That His nature and His character is developed in our lives and also that God uses us to bring others to new life in Jesus Christ. That is God's will for you. 
That is God's will for me, that we bear much fruit, that His character is developed in our life, and that He uses us to bring others to new life in Jesus Christ. Spiritual reproduction. And so there's several things that we need to look at in this passage concerning this bearing fruit. The first is that we need to consider the source of the fruit. We know it's God's will that we bear much fruit. We know what that fruit is. But first of all, we need to consider what is the source of the fruit. In verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Skip down to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. What is the source of fruit according to these verses? Well, the source of fruit is the vine itself. And the vine, according to Jesus, is Jesus. Amen? The source of the fruit is the vine, is Jesus himself. Now, if we look at the end of verse 1, Jesus makes it clear that the husbandman is God the Father, and He's the owner of the vineyard. I am the, vine, the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Now, many say, and it's, it's probably true, but many say that, that, that what Jesus is talking about here is likely the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 5. And let's just turn over there, keep your place in John 15, but just look at Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress there. And he looked, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I have done? Uh, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. And it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And many say that, this is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 5. And in the vineyard of Israel, God has planted Jesus Christ as the true vine, or the genuine vine, or as God describes it in Isaiah chapter 5, the choicest vine. And that's significant because in the illustration that Jesus gives in the world of vineyards, the vine stock itself is so crucial in the production of the finest of grapes. 
Some strains are better than others. And Jesus says here, he describes himself as the true vine, as the choice vine, the life source of real fruit is what we're getting at. So let me make an application here. Because we understand what the source of fruit is. It's God's will that we bear much fruit. The source of fruit is Jesus Christ. And so here's the application and the principle. If there are branches, which are people, you and me, and we call ourselves Christians and we call ourselves saints of God, if there are branches that are not bearing fruit, that is not a reflection of the vine. Because the vine itself is the choice vine. The vine itself is the true vine. The vine itself is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Bible says in John 3 and verse 34 that God doesn't hold back or give limitations to Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of all things. And if there is a Christian who is not bearing fruit, it's not because of the vine. Colossians 1.19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him. Friends, it is God's will that His children bear fruit. John 15 and verse 16 says, Ye have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That is God's will for God's people to bear fruit. Philippians 1 and verse 11 says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. What I'm saying here is that the source of fruit is Jesus Christ. And if there is a lack of fruit in a person's life, the problem is not Jesus. The problem is a you problem. The problem is a me problem. And if, and if we are not bearing fruit, which is God's will for us, it's gonna, it, there's, there's one of two reasons. Either we're not saved or we're not connected to the vine. If you're not bearing fruit, we're not in the middle of the Lord's will. God says, I've chosen you to bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So we see the source of fruit, but then I want you to notice the removal of the fruitless. Go back to our text in verse 2. Verse 2, the first part, Jesus says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now skip down to verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, And they are burned. Here we find the removal of the fruitless. What we need to understand here is that this is not talking about one who loses their salvation and is cast into the flames of hell if they don't bear fruit. That's not what Jesus is saying. That would contradict other scriptures, certainly. What Jesus is saying is simply further talking about the consequences of a branch that is not connected to the vine. In a vineyard, branches who do not bear fruit 
or branches that are cut off are simply burnt. They are of no longer any value to the husbandman. The very purpose of a branch to exist is to bear fruit. If it is not doing that, it's of no value to the husbandman. And I think you know where this application is going. Because likewise, in the Christian life, apart from Jesus Christ, your life is of absolutely no value. If you're not connected to the vine, you're going to wither. You know what, friend? You can try. You can try to live your best life with all of the temporal things of this world. But if you're not connected to Christ, all of it is worthless. A religious, Christless life is not even of much value to men, much less God. Branches that don't bear fruit are like salt that's lost its savor. It's good for nothing. Philippians 1.21, Paul says this. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He says there's no other reason for living other than to serve Christ. Paul also said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The question is, is there any value in your life outside of Jesus Christ? No, there's not. It ought to be for the child of God that the the desires and the ambitions of life, as it were, ought to have no more meaning to the child of God other than to live my life to serve Jesus Christ. Our life ought to be lived in Christ. Our ambitions ought to be toward Jesus Christ. Paul said, the world is dead to me. I'm dead to the world. Now, I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because the Bible talks about our life's work. The culmination of of all the days and the years that we've ever lived. Our whole life's work is brought up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I want you to notice something. The Bible says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Basically, what the Bible is saying here is that your life's work is, is, is boiled down to either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. The culmination of all that you have done in life, all of your life's works all put together, it's either, it's either gold, silver, precious stones, or it's wood, hay, and stubble. And someday the fire of God's judgment is coming to try your life and to try your work. If we read on, the Bible says in verse 14, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. 
In other words, God is, the fire of God's judgment is going to try our life. And if the, the amount of, of all the investment and everything that we've put our life into ends up burning up by the fire of God's judgment, it was wood, hay, and stubble. But if your work abides, it's eternal, and you'll receive a reward. In other words, what's happening here is that, is that the, the value of your life is being condensed down. The value of your life is being condensed down to show whether it was actually valuable or not. The purpose of a branch, which is me and you, is to bear fruit. When branches upon a vine were fruitless, the husbandman would cut it off so that there would be room for another branch to grow that would bear fruit. You following me here? Another interesting and notable truth is that fruitless branches in a vineyard are indicative of problems. The branch might be infested by a life-draining insect. It might be diseased. The branch itself might ultimately be dead. And the same is true of a fruitless Christian. It's indicative of problems, spiritual problems. And if we are not bearing fruit, which is our purpose, our reason for existence, there are spiritual problems there that need to be addressed. Jesus says, the branches that don't bear fruit, they're cast, they're gathered up and cast into the fire, they're burned because they're not of any value. I don't want my life to be of no value to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's God's will that we bear fruit. Go back to our text because I want you to notice the pruning of the fruitful. We see the removal of the fruitless, but if you look at the second part of verse 2, you see the pruning of the fruitful. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Here's the pruning of the fruitful. In the second part of verse 2, Jesus says the branches that don't bear fruit, or the first part of verse 2, the branches that don't bear fruit, they're, they're cut off, they're cast away, they're burned, they're valueless, they're, they're, they're worthless, they're, they're nothing. But the branches that do bear fruit, He says those are routinely pruned or cut back so that they can actually begin to bear more fruit, which is more glory and more honor to God. And I think of this in terms of the fact that there are times when my life has been pruned. There are times when my life, the husbandman God has come in with the shears and he's cut some things back in my life, some things that would hinder fruit and uh, bearing and growth in my life. These are things that get in the way, that, that keep me from bearing the fruit that He wants me to bear. And so for my own good, He starts to prune and He starts to cut back some things in my life. God at times may prune our lives of entanglements that would restrict us from potent, the potential of fruit bearing that we otherwise would have. 
This is the grace of God in my life, friend. That God wants me to bear fruit. He wants me to bring glory to Him. And so He's working in me to that end. Notice the word purgeth. Every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it. In this context, it has the sense of to prune. But then you get to verse 3, and He says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The basic truth here is that it is God's word. It is the word which I have spoken unto you that has these spiritually cleansing properties to it. Psalm 119.9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Friend, you get into God's Word, maybe in times of temptation. You get into God's Word and you memorize Scripture so that you would not sin against God. Maybe you grab onto a truth or a promise in times of discouragement and the water of God's Word washes over my mind and washes over my heart and it cleanses my mind. It cleanses my heart. I'm washed. I'm clean. That's that's the right kind of brainwashing, friend. In the human mind, which desperately needs to be cleansed. Now notice the word clean in verse 3. I'm making a point here. I told you to notice the word purge in verse 2. But notice the word clean. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word clean in verse 3 and the word purgeth in verse 2 are almost exactly the same word. They are so closely related etymologically that they basically mean the same thing. And what is being implied here by Jesus is that it's the Word of God that does the cleansing and does the pruning in my life. Amen. God's Word is there to clean my mind, to clean my heart. God's Word is there to reprove me of sin and to sometimes start pruning things out of my life that would keep me from bearing fruit. It's the Word of God that gets the entanglements that would hinder fruit-bearing out of my life so that the Master gets the glory. And the application is very simple. God cleanses us through His Word. God chastens us through His Word in order to make us more fruitful. And this is the grace of God in my life, seeking to make me into something that brings glory to Him. When it comes to chastening or pruning, the chastening isn't pleasant. The Bible says no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness in my life. It explains for us why dedicated Christian people will often go through times of suffering in life. Why does that happen? Well, it could be that you're fit for service and that the Lord desires to make you more fit for even more service. The process might be painful, but what it produces is always good. 
we see the pruning of the fruitful. God wants us to bear fruit, and He helps us bear even more fruit. Amen? Now I want you to notice the condition and the nature of fruitfulness. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Here's the condition of fruitfulness. The condition of fruitfulness is that we must abide in the vine. You notice that? Jesus says, you abide in me, and I in you. That's the same one who's going to bear fruit. The truth, which is so obvious to us, is so easily forgotten. In order to bear fruit, we've got to abide in the vine. This truth tells us that a branch apart from the vine will never bear any kind of fruit. Now, the word that's translated as abide here, it has the sense of to remain, to dwell, to continue. So Jesus says in verse 4, Abide in me, remain in me, dwell in me, continue in me, and I you. In verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth or continueth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Listen, this statement that Jesus makes, abide in me, it's in the imperative tense or the imperative mood. And Jesus is saying, it's, I'm commanding you, I'm commanding you to abide in me. Unless and until we remain in close union with the giver of life himself, we will never ever bear fruit and we can never ever impart spiritual life to another. We're not the ones who impart the life, but the Lord wants to use us to bring forth fruit. And what is implied here in Jesus' statement is a closeness of fellowship which comes only through faithfulness to the Word of God, to prayer, to the things of God. A closeness and a fellowship to Christ is what Jesus is talking about. These are the things that develop the life-giving sap which enables a branch to bear fruit. You know, there are Christians, and, and maybe even some in this room, even now, who say, well, I want to bear fruit. I wish to bear fruit. I know that's the Lord's will. For me, I want to bear fruit. There are Christians who say that they desire that, but they're not willing to spend the time with the vine that is necessary to have that spiritual vitality. It's got to be constant contact with Him. It implies an attitude of continual receptiveness to the things of God. You know what? When, when, the, when the Word of God is being preached and, and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's, it's really pointed and it starts to prick in the heart, it starts to step on our toes, and I don't like that, I don't want to hear that, I want to make excuses for myself, oh, that's not true, so on, oh, that's your opinion. What are we doing? We're cutting ourselves off from the source. 
of life that's going to help us bear fruit. I want to bear fruit, but I don't want to put in the time and the work necessary to stay connected to the vine. To abide in Him is to abide in His Word. To abide in Him is to abide in His will. To abide in Him is to stay in His work. And then, and only then, God works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure, which is what? To cause us to bear fruit. Constant contact implies an attitude of continual receptiveness. Lord, judge me. Try me. Teach me. Show me. That's the condition of bearing fruit. But I want you to notice the nature of a bearing fruit. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now people say, I'm abiding in Christ. I'm bearing fruit. But Jesus said, It's God's will that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. The branch, which is us, according to Jesus, is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. Well, the branch is a true disciple of the vine when it bears much fruit of the vine itself. Okay, here's the the condition. And here's the nature. Bearing fruit of the vine itself. Who is the vine? It's Jesus Christ. So in other words, we are true disciples of Christ when His character is being manifested in my life. That's when I'm bearing much fruit. What, what the sap to the vine is, or, or the sap of the vine to the branch is, the Spirit of God is to the Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ that should be developed in my life. Do you follow this? Am I making sense? The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ that should be developed in my life. I am bearing much fruit when the character of Christ is being developed in me. What does that mean? What does that mean? Here's the practical side of it. It means that love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and all the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested and shown in my life. That is when I am bearing fruit. That's going to appear in my life. So you say, I'm a disciple of Christ. I want to bear fruit. Okay, where's the love? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the gentleness? Where's the goodness? When He has free access into our heart and full control, His own personal characteristics are going to appear as fruit in my life. That is the nature 
of fruitfulness. We don't get to decide what is fruit. Amen? It is His character, His nature being developed in my life. Now look at verse 8 again and let's follow down through verse 11 because I want you to see, lastly, the result of fruitfulness. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. What is the result of fruitfulness? Well, first of all, we see that God is glorified. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. This is amazing. That God is the one who works in me to help me bear fruit. God is the one who helps me to glorify Him. God is the one who helps me to do the very thing for which I was saved and created to give glory to God. You can't do it without Him. He said, my Father is glorified. Giving glory to God is our purpose for life. Giving glory to God is the only reason that God gives you life. That's my purpose. And if I'm not fulfilling my purpose, I'm worthless, of no value to God. Not only is God glorified, but our discipleship is proved. Jesus said, so shall ye be my disciples. Fruit is the natural outcome of faithfully following Christ as well as the evidence of it. So you say that you want to bear fruit? You can say, I'm bearing fruit all you want, but your life will show whether you are or not. And then the third result is that we abide in His love and we experience the fullness of joy. Why are there people who are so discontented? Christian people who are so unhappy and so discontented? Because they're not fulfilling their purpose. They're not full of joy because they're not abiding in Christ and they're not bearing fruit. Jesus says, this is how you experience the fullness of my joy. The life lived in Christ and for Him is the only God-glorifying life that there is. It is His will that we bear much fruit. Much fruit means much love, much joy, much peace, much gentleness. Does that describe you? Is that what would characterize your life? Let's ask the Lord to help us to abide in Him, to dwell with Him, to stay with Him, so that we can fulfill our purpose to glorify the Lord. Are we really bearing fruit? We can talk all we want, but what does our life show? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd teach us from these truths, and Lord, help us to examine and line our life up with the Word of God.
not with our own idea of things or opinions, not with our own idea of spirituality, but with what the Word of God says. And Lord, help us to be continually receptive to truth, even when it highlights or exposes something in us. Lord, I pray that we'd not respond in pride, but Lord, submission and humility. Because my desire is, Lord, that I want to bring glory to you. I want to bear fruit. I want to follow Christ. So Lord, teach us. And Lord, I pray that we would respond as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen.